Welcome to Chapel of the Lake in Lake St. Louis, Missouri. The Chapel family is a multi-generational community of believers who gather weekly to worship and explore God's Word as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as Pastor Keith Spa opens the Scriptures. Well, good morning, Chapel family. Well, I encourage you to take your Bibles, if you would, and open to the book of Ephesians. And uh, specifically, Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. It's always helpful, I think, for you to have the Word of God open so you can see there for yourself what it says and make sure that I don't mess up and as well to interact with it so you have the Word before you. Today we come to the fourth part of a short series where we've been looking at the church, looking to elevate, to raise our view of the church and our value of the church. Because we live in a time, we live in a culture uh, where the majority of Christians, of professing believers in Christ, have a very low view of the church, that it is not really important not really valuable. And as we discovered a number of weeks ago that the majority of those who claim to believe the Word of God say that they are born again believers in Jesus Christ, trusting in Him alone for salvation. They claim to be then evangelical believers in Christ, and yet the majority of them, over half, rarely, if ever, go to church. They are not connected in or with or to a body of believers like you are today. So we're preaching to the choir in this series because you guys are here. But we want us to grab and to grasp a high view of the church, of its values, so that as we interact with other believers out there who don't share that view, you can share with them from the Word of God why the church matters. Why we should, some two millennia after Christ, Here in the 21st century, in 2024, almost a quarter of the way through the 21st century, I just realized, or last service as I said that, that the church still matters. We saw in Matthew a couple of places as Jesus spoke about the church. We realized that he said the church matters and that he expects that his followers, those who name his name, will be gathering together, assembling together with other believers in a local assembly, which Jesus called there in Matthew 18, the church. And it is there that we will be connected with and accountable to other believers. We came to the book of Ephesians a couple of weeks ago and we looked at the church in an analogy that is used there in Ephesians, the church as the body of Christ. The church is a body. Last week, also in Ephesians, we looked in chapter 2 as the church as a building, another analogy, another word picture that is there for us to understand more of the church. And today we come to here in Ephesians 5 to another, for most of us, familiar passage to look at the church described as a bride. 
This passage here in Ephesians is, as I said, familiar to most of us, but usually when we come to this passage and we read it and we study it or we hear it taught, we are focused on marriage because this passage here in, in Ephesians 5 is marriage is the primary focus. And yet, as the Apostle Paul here talks about marriage, he uses the analogy of the bride, of Jesus as the bridegroom and the church as the bride, and he uses that picture to teach us about marriage between a husband and a wife. And what I want us to do this morning is to put on some different glasses, as it were, as we come to the passage, and instead of focusing on marriage, that we look from the other direction and we focus looking through the lens of marriage, as it were, at Jesus and the church. Because there is much for us to learn. This morning, I just want to focus, though, on four truths that are presented here in this passage in Ephesians 5 about Jesus and the church, the church as the bride of Christ. Four very important truths for us to grasp, which will help us to understand, again, why the church matters, why it is valuable, why it is important, and why it is vital to us in our walk with Christ and in our growth in Christ. Ephesians 5, beginning verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And I know that just, I read those, that passage and the, already there's a lot of people going, <gasps> and you want to go, oh, and, and we want to, we think about that in the terms of marriage and what does that mean? And we're not going to talk about that today. Uh, I preached on that. I'm not afraid to preach on it. We talked about it last year, a year before. You can go back in the archives on the website and you can find that message and listen to it and hear what we say there. Again, we're focused here not on husband and wife, but we're focused on Jesus as the husband and the church as the wife, the church as the bride. And there's some things we need to notice. And the first is this, that is that very clearly here it says Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is head of the church here because we are the bride and he is our husband. For that reason, he is head of the church. But also Jesus is head over the church, it says here, because the church is his body. That analogy we looked at back in Ephesians chapter 1, also in chapter 3, and it shows up here again. And he is head over the church because he is the Savior. He is our Savior. He rescued us. He ransomed us. He redeemed us from sin and from death and from hell. Therefore, he deserves to be our head as our rescuer. As it was in the old days, if you saved somebody's life, they were indebted to you. And so it is here. Jesus is head of the church. Because Jesus is head, therefore it says we are, as the church, as the bride of Christ, we are to submit to Christ in everything. 
as believers, as the church, our aims should be to do what Jesus wants us to do. Our purpose should be to do what Jesus wants us to do. Our mission is to do what Jesus wants, not what we want. He's the head. We are to submit to him. Jesus, what is it you want with my life? And Jesus, what is it you want with our church, the chapel of the lake? Jesus, what is it you want in your church universal? That should be our prime concern, and we should submit to Jesus for what he wants. So then the question comes up, and it came up last week. We asked this question. How do we know what Jesus wants for us? The answer is here. We find the answer to what Jesus wants us to be and wants us to do in the pages of Scripture, the pages of the Word of God, which has been handed down to us, as we learned last week in Ephesians 2, through the apostles and the prophets. They were the foundation of the church because they are the ones who heard the word of Jesus audibly and personally from him and they delivered it to us in the written word. Jesus, the cornerstone of our faith and the foundation of what we know of what he wants, we find here. And so as we saw three weeks ago, Jesus in Matthew 18 expects us to be gathering as the church in local gatherings, local assemblies. And so it's important that we submit to Christ because we saw two weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3 what is also iterated here, reiterated here, that Jesus is the head and we are his body. And he has chosen as the head, he has chosen to accomplish his purposes, his work in this world through his body, through the body of Christ, through you and through me. And for the life of me, I can't understand why he has chosen to do that. It is a gracious thing, it is a good thing, it is a gift that he has done that. He has entrusted the responsibility of his program, of his purpose, to you and to me. That is a high honor. I look out here and I go, we're in trouble. (laughs) When I look in the mirror, wow. You see, we learned a couple of weeks ago that the church, the church universal and the church local here at the Chapel of the Lake, we are Jesus' plan to accomplish his purpose. We are his plan A and there is no plan B. And so it is important that you and I submit to the head in order that his work gets done. The church matters. It is vital. Because in order for the church to submit to the head, the church needs to be gathering together and the church needs to be working together. You see, let's say my head wants my finger to do a job. And my finger goes, cool. Head, you want a job done? I'm your finger. I'll get after it. I don't know if you've noticed this, but most times we have jobs to do. One finger doesn't cut it. 
that finger needs the assistance of a few other fingers. And by the way, those fingers don't work nearly as well without the thumb opposing those fingers doing its oppositional motion here so they work together. So the fingers and the thumbs, the thumb really work together to get the job done, except they don't do very well without the palm, the rest of the hand, because it's the hand that holds the fingers and the thumbs together to get the work done. But the hand doesn't do the work very well because, you see, it needs the arm to move the hand where the work needs to be done. But the arm doesn't really do the job completely either because it needs the feet to move the body to get the body into position where the arm can reach, reach to get the hand in place where the fingers can do the job with the thumb. But the feet don't move very well and get to the place you need to go to get the job done if it's not for the ears because without the ears we don't have balance. And we trip and we stumble and we fall. And even with the ears giving us balance, we don't move very well without the eyes to look and see and tell the feet where to go. And when you get there, you need the eyes to tell the hand, the arm where to move to get the hand where it needs to go so the fingers can do the job it needs to do and the fingers need the eyes to show it where they need to move. And you see, sooner or later, you got the whole body working. We haven't talked about all the inner parts that have to work because if those don't work, nothing happens. And you see, we think, I'm a finger, I can serve Jesus all by myself. It doesn't work that way in the human body, nor does it work that way in the body of Christ. See, in order for the church to submit to our head and to accomplish his purpose and his work in this world, We need to be gathering together and we need to be working together as the church. We need to be doing as the verse before where I started reading this morning. We started in verse 22, in verse 21, where it says that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because we revere, because we worship, because we honor Christ, we need to be submitting to one another, gathering together as the family, as the body, submitting to one another, working together, cooperating with each other that we might accomplish Jesus' purpose in our community and in our world. Jesus is the head of the church. And the church is to submit to Christ in everything to accomplish his purpose. And so the church, brothers and sisters, matters. It is important, as important in the year 2024 as it was when it began in year 33. But we need to move on to the next truth we need to see here in this passage about the church. Verse 25. Husbands, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What we here learn here about Jesus and the church is we learn that Jesus loves the church. How much does Jesus love the church? Well, he loves the church so much that Jesus died for the church. He gave himself up for her. A couple of years ago, back in 1965... Easy for me to say that. 
Back in 1965, a lady named Patricia McGurr wrote a short story. And it goes like this. It was a story about a successful Polynesian trader down in the South Pacific, a guy named Johnny Lingo, was the hero of the story. And in this story, uh, Johnny Lingo, having done quite well out in his business, went back home to his home island there to find himself a wife. And as he came to the island, the, the woman that was the woman of his desire that he was coming home to get was a young woman named Sarita. And as was the custom in the islands there, when you wanted a wife, you would go to the wife's father and there negotiate the bride price. And so Johnny Lingo came home to his island, goes to Sarita's father to ask for her hand in marriage and to negotiate the bride price. They sit down and, uh, and of course, as it is on a small island in a, in a village, everybody else comes around and the whole village kind of sits around to see what's going to happen. They're observing. Everybody's wondering, you know, what's he, I think he's going to ask for, for Sarita. What's going to happen? And, and they're watching and, and Johnny says, you know, he wants to marry Sarita. And the father says, oh. Now, by the way, on the island and in the islands those days, one to three cows will buy you an okay wife. An excellent wife will cost you four to six cows. And Sarita's father speaks up. The price for my daughter is three cows. And the crowd gasps. See, they all know Sarita isn't what we would call, in our culture, a catch. She's not, she's kind of homely, kind of plain, a little too skinny, a little this, a little that, you know. She is not a three-cow wife. <laughs> They're waiting for Johnny, this great trader, to strike a good deal. He's going to bargain, you know, what's he, he's definitely going to counter here. What's he going to counter they're thinking, you know, it's going to be a, was it going to be one, going to be two? I think it's going to be one, you know, three dollars. We, you know, they start taking their bets or whatever. And Johnny says, oh, three cows is a lot. I'll give you eight cows for your daughter, Sarita. Everybody's stunned. Nobody has ever heard of an eight-cow wife. The deal quickly closes. <laughs> Her father, <"Dye>, deal! <laughs> and Johnny and Sarita leave. He takes his bride and they, and they take off. And the people marvel at this from then on, of Johnny and his eight-cow wife. The narrator of the story sometime months, years later, goes to an island to visit Johnny and Sarita, who now live on a different island. 
And the narrator, as he comes to their home, is astonished. As he sits down with Johnny and Sarita walks into the room, they didn't recognize her. She is the most beautiful woman they've ever seen. And they quietly talk to Johnny. What happened? He said, well, you know, back on our island, Sarita believed what everyone told her all her life, that she is worth nothing. He said, I, from the time I was a small child, I always loved that girl and dreamed I would marry her one day. And I always dreamed of marrying an eight-cow wife. You see, there are many people today who view the church, and many Christians today, who view the church as worthless. And Jesus Christ, it says here, loves the church so much he gave himself for it. Jesus paid the ultimate price in all of the universe, a price that cannot be exceeded by anything, by everything else. Jesus paid the highest price possible to buy a church that as we look around, we go, one cow, maybe two or maybe no cows at all, a couple chickens. <laughs> you see, Jesus loves the church. And why he would love us that much ought to astound us. And may I say it will astound us for the rest of eternity. That's going to be the theme in heaven. Is why are we here? <laughs> At that cost, how did you love us that much? That's the theme of amazing grace. (laughs) It saved a wretch like me. I don't get it. Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves the church because he died for it. He died to pay for our sin as I prayed earlier so that we can have forgiveness of sin New life now, eternal life forever, heaven. And he offers it as a gift. And there may be somebody here this morning, somebody watching online, who has yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If nothing else you hear today, may you hear that God loves you that much. You can't earn his love. You can't earn his forgiveness. You can't earn his grace. You can't earn heaven. But you can receive it as a gift. Jesus offers that to you. And I pray and I beg that you'll put your trust in him. But there's more here about how Jesus loves his church. He wasn't content simply to buy the church out of sin and out of death and out of hell. But it goes on here in verse, look at verse 26 that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
Jesus doesn't just buy us out of sin and death and hell. He is in the business of purifying the church, of making us, of sanctifying us, it says here, of making us holy and without blemish. He looks at us and he sees our potential rather than our problems. He is cleansing us, making us beautiful, shaping us into all that he designed us to be, which sin had marred and almost wiped out. And by the way, what he has designed us to be is far more than we could ever imagine that we could be. I love that verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. It says, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived or imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Jesus is busy bringing that about in his church. We saw last week in chapter 2, as we looked at the church as a building, as it talks about how he is building us into a holy temple in which his spirit dwells. And what we learned is that that process of growing us in holiness, in beautifying us, in purifying us, in cleansing us, that process takes place in the community of the church. It takes place as you and I in the church interact with each other in all of our failures and with our sin and our problems and our imperfections. It's as we interact with each other that the rough edges are knocked off and the ugliness is polished and becomes beautiful And so the church is necessary, the church is important, the church is vital in this process that Jesus is doing in us, purifying us as his church. Jesus loves us by, because he died for us, he loves us in that he is in the process of turning us into more than we ever imagined to beautify and purify and cleanse Jesus also, there's another way that his love is shown for us. We see it in the next verses, verses 28 to 29. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Again, looking past where he's talking about marriage here to looking at Jesus and the church, and we see that Jesus loves the church because he, as he cares for it. It says, very simply, no one hates his own flesh or body. Instead, we look after it. Now, there are times that I don't like my body. I look at it in the mirror and I go, well, it needs a little help here. Nothing I'm motivated enough, apparently, to change. I love my body so much that when I'm hungry, guess what I do? I eat. I not only give my body what it needs, I give my body what it wants. Ice cream. Cake. Pie. Oh. It says no one hates their own body, but they, they nourish it and they cherish it. They take care of its needs. The church is Christ's body says, and so likewise, Jesus also takes care of his body. Paul can't help but keep mixing his metaphors. He's talking about husband and wife. The church is the bride of Christ. He keeps going back to the body. 
It's okay. The, the reason is because no one picture gets it all. It's too big of a concept. The church is too important and too precious and too big and too glorious. And he says, but Jesus takes care of his body. He nourishes it. He nourishes it. He feeds it. His attention is always toward his church and he provides what it needs. The church of Jesus Christ will never go lacking for what it really needs because Jesus, the bridegroom, will make sure it always has what it really needs. Not always what we want, but always what we need. And because it's his body, he cherishes it. It means he values it. He, his affections are always toward the church. He protects it. He tenderly cares for it. Why does the church matter? Because Jesus loves his bride, the church. He loves it dearly. And so it follows that if you and I say, I love Jesus, then we should love what Jesus loves. If Jesus loves the church, then we ought to love the church. See, if a guy gets married, I'll pick on Bob because I mentioned Bob earlier today. So Bob is the guy of the day. If Bob gets married and, um, you know, a month later, year later, some of his friends call him up and say, hey, Bob. We want to invite you over for dinner tonight. You know, it's Harry and Sally. And Bob says, sure, we'll be over. Six o'clock, we'll be there. Uh, Wait a second, Bob. Um, We didn't make it clear. Uh, We're inviting you, but not your wife. See, the reality is we don't like your wife. (laughs) She annoys us. She's not really our kind of person, (laughs) Uh, she, you know, she's got flaws and faults and this and that. We just, we want you. (laughs) How rude. How tacky. There is a, there, there are some words that describe friends like that. We'd call them former friends. See, when somebody insults, when somebody hurts, when somebody dislikes our bride, guess what? (laughs) They've fallen out of favor with us. They are no longer our friends. They aren't really our friends. If they're really our friends, they will care about not only us, but the ones we love. It is just as offensive and just as ridiculous for someone to say, whether to us or whether to Jesus, I love Jesus, but I really don't care about the church. I love Jesus, but I have no use for the church. I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. You see, this passage is said in three different ways just how deeply Jesus loves the church. And if we say we love Jesus, then we ought to love the church. There's another, a third truth here about the the bride, the church as a bride, that we need to see. Verse 31. Therefore, 
A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Interesting. The truth we need to see here is that Jesus is one with his church. When a husband and wife get married, the Bible says, and God says, that the two become one flesh. We see that back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 2. Man and woman are created, and it says there, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, the two will become one flesh. God institutes this union of marriage, and he says that when a man and a woman get married, they become one flesh. When I am counseling couples getting ready to marry, marry them, pre-marriage counseling, when I'm counseling couples that have marriage issues, this is one concept that I try to really get home to a married couple. I call it the one flesh principle. When a couple gets married, you become one flesh. And you have to realize that changes everything. And that when something is good for me, it is good for my wife. When something hurts my wife, it hurts me. If I lose my job, we both suffer. If my wife wins the lottery, we both win. If a man hurts or belittles his wife, he hurts himself. If a woman builds up her husband, she benefits because we are one flesh. Whatever comes into our life as a married couple, whatever good comes into our life, whatever problems come into our life, we both bear the blessings or the problems of that because we are one. And the scripture here has said, that is true of a husband and wife, but I'm not speaking about husband and wife. I'm speaking about Jesus and the church. Jesus has, in his wisdom and in his grace, he has bound himself inextricably, in, he can't break it up, whatever the word is, I can't get it out. He's bound himself to us so that we are connected, we are one. So that whatever happens good to the church blesses Jesus. And whatever is done or hurts the church or spoken against the church hurts Jesus. We see it in the scriptures. You may remember Acts chapter 9. There was a guy named Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who later becomes the guy who's writing this letter, Paul. And Paul, you recall there in Acts chapter 9, was doing what to the church? Persecuting the church. He was out 
seeing people beaten, seeing property confiscated, seeing people imprisoned, and seeing people killed because they were followers of Jesus. And he was on his way to the city of Damascus with papers in hand. When he got there, he could arrest any Christians he could find and have them hauled back to Jerusalem to stand trial. And as he's on his way, Jesus from heaven stops him dead in his tracks with some bright light from heaven that just knocks him to the ground. It says, and as Paul was knocked to the ground, he hears a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? No, that isn't what it said, is it? The voice was Jesus And you know what Jesus said. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, the church and Jesus are inseparable. We are connected. We are one. First of all, that should blow our minds in humility that Jesus would connect himself to you And it should really cause you to wonder when you look at me and say, he connected himself to to Keith? (laughs) No. He's done that to his church, to all of us. When someone persecutes the church, Jesus takes it personal. And this reality provides for us a very simple and a very wonderful and a very practical principle. Do you love Jesus? Anybody? Two, three, five? Okay, a few of you. <laughs> oh, are we supposed to take our hands up? <laughs> if you love Jesus, how do you show your love to Jesus? Jesus, I love you. Okay, that's good. And sing it. This just taught us something. Love is church. Again, we're not talking the building. That's not the church. We love the church. Love his people. Do you want to do something for Jesus? You want to serve Jesus? Serve his people. Serve the church. You want to bless Jesus? Bless his church. See, when you bless my wife, you bless me. If I bless your wife, I bless you. And so it is with Jesus' bride. When we bless the church, when we serve the church, when we love the church, we love Jesus. Isn't that cool? So tangible. Sometimes it seems so hard to, to love Jesus and to express that love. It seems so hard to do that, but we do that when we just bless Jesus' church. And so when, when someone comes and puts a cup of cold water under the pastor's thing here, so he... And they bless part of Jesus' church. They bless Jesus. It's that simple. What amazing thing. One final truth. We need to wrap this up. One final truth I want us to notice about the church. And I find this in some verses. We read it, but I kind of skipped over this point because I wanted to come back to it. Because it really is, to me, the most astounding thing of all. Why does the church matter? And how much does the church matter to Jesus? Back in verse 27, he's washing the church and cleansing the church. Verse 27, so that he might present 
the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Forty-two years of serving in the church in a pastoral role, I have done a lot of weddings. I've lost track. I don't have enough fingers and toes to count them. Uh, It's a lot. I've learned that is a really, that wedding day is a really, really big day to that couple and to their families and to their friends. But it's a really, 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 really big day to the bride. It's her day. Right? It's all about her. After hours of preparation with her parents and some hired hairdressers and makeup people and all the bridesmaids and everybody else, uh, the bride emerges from the room where she's been for half a day. Her hair is just perfect and gorgeous and beautiful. And there's the makeup is perfect and she's in this, you know, just amazing dress and when she comes out everybody's oh, and and she makes her entrance in this grand entrance and everybody stands and all eyes are on the bride as she comes down the aisle right and they glow I'm not talking sweat they 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 they're radiant you notice Jesus, it says here that Jesus might present the church to himself in splendor. It's radiance here. And she's presented to her bridegroom. That's the picture that's here. In this case, unlike our weddings today, where the groom doesn't see the bride till she emerges from that room and makes her grand entrance, that's usually when the groom sees the bride. But in this case... The groom sees the bride right now because it's the bridegroom who's getting the bride ready for that day. The one who hasn't seen the bridegroom is everybody else. You realize, the bridegroom, sorry. The one who hasn't seen the bride is everybody else. No one has seen the bride of Christ. We see a little piece of it right here. But the bride of Christ is every believer from Acts chapter 2 until today, until when Jesus comes back and every believer from all over the world, every place. No one has seen them all together. No one has seen the bride of Christ. The only one who has is Jesus, the one who is building his church, who is omniscient, who sees them with his eyes. (laughs) He can see what is coming and what he knows what the churches look like. Nobody else does. But there is a day when the bride will be revealed. That's what's talked about here. When he will present to himself the bride. Perfect. Finished. Complete. Does the church matter? Yes. It's going to be presented to Jesus in splendor and glory. We will be holy without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. There's a whole bunch of people, millions of people this very day who are very excited to watch some football games this evening, two of them, to determine who goes to the Super Bowl. Oh, they can't wait. 
They're so excited and so pumped. Some of you know them. You're married to them or they're, they're in your household. And you know that you know, when the game is going on, you don't talk. Don't interrupt. You know, let, me, let me watch the game. And they're so excited. They're so consumed with that. And it is an exciting thing if you like football. And so is the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks. A million Super Bowls put together won't even begin to touch the excitement of the day. The day, which is our day. The church's day. We get a day. And what a day it will be. We find it in Revelation chapter 19. It is sometime before Jesus returns to the earth in great power and great glory. And he vanquishes his enemies and establishes his kingdom. Sometime before that, which is at the end of chapter 19, earlier in chapter 19, there's the day. Revelation 19. Jesus glorifies his church that day. He shows us in splendor and radiance, in glory. Let's just read. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. We sang about this, by the way, earlier. Even the day that the bride is revealed, it was in the first or second song we sang. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Who is the bride? It's the church. It's us. And there's the day when the church is revealed. And it is such a day that heaven thunders. It roars. It reverberates in great praise to God because everybody's been going to be going, including us, who are going to be there going, Oh, my. I mean, what would it be to be in the middle of the Super Bowl you know, they're on national TV and everybody's looking at you going, wow. And you're going, whoa, that's cool. <laughs> that nothing. We're going to be there on wedding day. And we're going to be going, can you believe what Jesus did with them? <laughs> and they're looking at you going, can you believe what Jesus did with them? <laughs> we're all going to be going, can you believe what Jesus did? And there is this Grand scene of praise and glory. There are a lot of things that we might get excited about. But what we should really light our fire and rock our world is where we are headed to this day. And it's all about the church. Sadly, again, many people think the church doesn't matter. Would you notice... The bride here is dressed in a bride dress. What is it that makes that dress? It's not chiffon, not silk. Did you, did you notice? It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for fine linen is the... Who are the saints? Us. What are the righteous deeds? It's what 
the church does when it does the will and the work and the purposes of Jesus. And we talked earlier, how does that happen? Through the church. Brothers and sisters, do you see what so many of our, of our brothers and sisters, or at least professing brothers and sisters, are missing when they say, I love Jesus, but I have no use for the church? It is all about what Jesus is doing now and what he is preparing for on that day. And oh my, what a blessing it will be to be able to say, Jesus, I can't believe you let me be a part of making this happen. May God in his grace continue to build in us such a love for Jesus and such a love for his church that we can't wait to be working together to accomplish his purpose in however many days we have left until Jesus returns. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Wow, what a passage. How this ought to stir our souls. Forgive us for so often thinking so little of what Jesus died for. For thinking so little of what Jesus has entrusted his purposes to. For thinking so little for what Jesus is preparing a great day for. For thinking so little of the one that Jesus has said, this is my bride. It is the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ universal as well as the church of Jesus Christ local. May our view forever be changed. But not just our view, may it change how we live. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you as you grow in your walk with him this week.